Yo, 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 hey, yo, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Welcome back, welcome back. I'm excited to be back. Nice Tuesday afternoon. It's a nice Tuesday afternoon where I am. Hope you guys are having a good one. I am doing fine. So we got, you know, NFL to talk about. We got some things to get into. Um... I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna talk about some more contracts uh, eventually throughout the episode, uh, so you guys stay tuned for that. I know. <laughs> I know the previous episode. I ha- I did like a whole salary cap deep dive and talking about these quarterbacks and how you know these rosters and franchises should go about, uh, you know, signing quarterbacks typically early or so forth. You know, it, it every situation varies, um, but um. Let's get into it. I hope you guys had a great weekend. I hope you guys enjoyed the previous episode. If not, you know, if you want to, you can go back and listen to that episode. I gave, like I said, I gave a nice deep dive a little bit about the salary cap um, and uh, the process of a proper process of trying to pay a quarterback and build uh, a contender, right? I, I, I balance that between those two. So if you're interested in that, I would advise you, if you haven't listened to that episode, um, which is the previous episode, go ahead and check that out. Really good insight, really insightful. Um, there, there's a lot going on. Uh, obviously, you've got some NFL preseason games. We're getting closer and closer to the NFL preseason. College football is around the corner. Uh, like I said, the Olympics just finished team USA, both women's and men's basketball teams. They both took home gold. The USA, USA as a country, as a whole, they took home the most gold medals and the most medals in just in general period. So, you know, congratulations to, you know, anybody who participated or partake in the Olympics. Um, USA did a great job. Uh, NBA Summer League with a lot of these rookies and younger guys. We're, you know, NBA Summer League. We're seeing some young talent on full display. Like I said, I have a very, I, I got a really special guest for you guys coming around, coming around the corner. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be this week, but it's going to be very soon. I'm going to bring this guest on. Uh, he's going to be really insightful. I'm not going to give it up to you guys quite yet. You just got to stay tuned for that. You got to stay patient. You got to stay with me with that. But, um, yes, special guests in in terms of the NBA. Uh, Like I said, I'm not sure. It may be. It very well could be this Saturday episode. Um, You guys know I drop an episode on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So it could be this Saturday episode, but it's going to be very soon. But let's get into it. Um, I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kitt of the Isaiah Kitt Podcast. Shouts out to all the first-time listeners. Shouts out to all the regular listeners. Shouts out to all the guy, all the people that's been spreading this podcast, showing this podcast endless love. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. I greatly appreciate it all. You guys could have been doing anything else, listen to anything else, but you decided to come here and listen to me for <laughs> for for an hour or so. But Let's start. NFL Hall of Fame this past weekend. Uh, I watched the Hall of Fame. I watched some of the Hall of Fame instruments. Um, you know, they, they, this this hit this 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 Hall of Fame was extra. I should say it was like two. It was like a two day thing. 
as far as instruments because COVID-19 last year, um, you, they couldn't do any inductions. So they did the 2020 inductions and the 2021 inductions. Uh, the 2021 inductions, uh, as far as the players in the Hall of Famers, it headlined uh, guys like Peyton Manning, Kyle Johnson, Charles Woodson, a really, really good class. This 2021, this 2021 class in particular, um, probably one of the better classes that we have seen over the past, you know, recent over recent memory, right? Um, so I'm glad I, I watched a little bit. I watched some of the speeches that I wanted to watch. Um, like I wanted to see Peyton Manning's speech. Uh, I wanted to see Drew Pearson's speech. Um, it was you. So I watched a select few. I think as a whole, the Hall of Fame and Strymon speeches can are typically a big loan. I know there's a split. There's a split of view a viewpoint as to how these speeches should go. I think for me personally, they should be short and concise. Uh, I think like the the six minute mark that they have, I think is fine uh, because what people got to remember, it's a TV show. This 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 is this is on live television, um, and you gotta it gotta be live production, so it can't be this whole long, long drawn out speech. It has to be like precise, short and precise. You know, funny moments, and you know, wrap it up a little bit. But I wanted to talk about this particular topic as far as the wide receiver position in terms of the Hall of Fame. Because Calvin Johnson, he was obviously this, and please, please do not take this out of perspective or context. But Calvin Johnson, uh, I think, became the seventh. He he became the seventh first ballot wide receiver. Now, you guys may find that a little bit surprising, or you might be asking yourself, "Why am I telling you this?" Of course, Calvin Johnson is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Obviously, obviously, Calvin Johnson, and I don't care how many years he played. I think he played nine years. Um, he retired early. Calvin Johnson is no doubt, absolutely a bona fide first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, but I'm gonna read you guys all some. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read you guys some names off. Um, a, a, you know, a list that I wrote wrote down. Some guys, some wide receivers who. I mean, obviously, I'm not trying to measure them against Calvin Johnson, but you would look at their numbers and what they did throughout their career, and you could you would argue that they are first battle Hall of Famers. Um, guys like Terry Holt still hasn't even got in. You know, guys like Reggie Wayne still haven't got in. Uh, guys like Michael Irvin, he he, you know, Michael Irvin, the great Michael, the playmaker. He he wasn't the first battle Hall of Famer, believe it or not. Tim Brown, great all time great receiver. Um, he wasn't a first battle Hall of Famer. Uh, Marvin Harrison, great guy, great receiver. You look at his numbers; numbers are astronomical. He's had some of the better. He's he's had some of the better, like single seasons for a wide receiver. Wasn't a first battle Hall of Famer. Terrell Owens, T.O. himself, the man himself. He was not a first battle Hall of Famer. So I I don't know what it is about the Hall of Fame, and you guys know how I feel about the Hall of Fame as far as. The NFL, I'm talking about the NFL, like, specifically right now. But in terms of the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB Hall of Fame, 
you guys know how, how I am with the Hall of Fame when it comes to this Hall of Fame talk. Um, or, it, you know, guys should be in there. It's the elite of the elite. The Hall of Fame should be for the elite of the elite. And <clears throat> I was I, w- I had this conversation uh, when Julian Edelman retired. I said, I, I, as much as I like Julian Edelman, um, I thought he was a great Patriot. And I thought he was a good receiver, but not a Hall of Famer. Not a Hall of Famer. He's just not. I'm sorry. I hate to break it, but he's not a Hall of Famer. Um, even a guy like even a guy like Drew Pearson, who got inducted to the Hall of Fame, it took him so long to get inducted to the Hall of Fame. He, I mean, I remember one year he got pissed off because he's like, "Damn, what else? Like, what else can I do? How long is it going to take before I get in? Like, before I get inducted?" So. I think with the NFL Hall of Fame and like I said, the other, the, you know, the other two leagues, the MLB Hall of Fame and uh, not not even the NBA Hall of Fame, but it's called the Naismith Hall of Fame. So it's the Basketball Hall of Fame. The NBA should look into trying to get their own Hall of Fame um, because I think that's that's the that's the base of the NBA problem uh, and, and, and the Naismith Hall of Fame, I should say. But like I can remember. And I've been to the Naismith Hall of Fame, um, the Basketball Hall of Fame, and I've been to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I can remember it, it, it's a it, it's a it's a really good place to visit. I mean, if if anybody is interested in that type of stuff, like it, it's good. Um, it's a it, it's really cool. It's a cool place to go to. Um, but I just I just don't like how certain voters handle um, or use the power to their vote. I just don't like the whole Hall of Fame process in itself a lot of times um, because it's it, it's it's definitely a bias towards it when voting. I think, and I, I'm not saying all voters necessarily, but I do think there's there's some guys in the media who will who will hold, who will literally hold a grudge because a particular player um weren't their favorite when you know when they were playing necessarily i look at a guy like chad ocho cinco chad johnson great receiver uh i think he's a i think he's a i think he's a hall of famer but you know knowing chad and you know seeing the things uh that some of the things that he did over his career they probably won't let him in but Chad Ochocinco, Chad Johnson, and uh, from the early 2000s, um, when he first entered into the league, up until the late 2000s, his latter years in Cincinnati, he was an elite receiver. He was looked upon as a top three receiver, um, a top three player at his position. And I don't know what it is. Uh, even Ark Monk, the great Art Monk, he had the way to time. I don't know what it is about receivers, and I think some of it with the Hall of Fame process. I don't. I this is and this is my opinion. I don't know for sure, but maybe they don't want to let certain positions. Maybe there's a count that like maybe they don't want to class just a whole bunch of receivers. Because to to, the, to 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 be fair, in fairness to the Hall of Fame, um, they only they only induct seven guys. So maybe they don't want just three or four receivers in one class. And I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know. But 
I, I just I always have found it kind of funny and eerie how the Hall of Fame works with certain guys. And I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. Because to say, because when you think, when you're talking about all-time great receivers and ranking the all, excuse me, and ranking the all-time great receivers, I mean, no matter who you probably talk to, the, the first three that comes out of anybody's mouth is probably going to be, I don't I don't know what order. The order can vary. But the three guys that you're going to hear is Randy Moss, Jerry Rice, Terrell Owens. Those are those are most of the time the three receivers that a lot of people name, at, you know, when they're ranked, when they're trying to rank all time great receivers. And the fact that Terrell Owens wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer, I just think says a lot. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know how to feel even but even, like I, even outside the wide receiver position, like a guy like Fred Taylor, a guy like Fred Taylor, I think is a Hall of Famer. You look at his numbers. He was a top three player at his position. He was an elite player while playing. Uh, and he was elite over time. Like, you can't – and that's the thing, and, and I hope people don't misconstrue it. You can't be elite for one year. You have to have a stretch or a period where you were elite. And all of the guys that I have mentioned were – like, had that. They were elite at their position. They were an elite player for a stretch. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it. I like even a guy like Sterling Sharp, Sterling Sharp, and I get it. He only plays six seasons, but Sterling Sharp, you look at Sterling's six seasons and you look at Jerry Rice first six seasons, their numbers are very identical. Their numbers are very identical. Sterling Sharp in six seasons, 595 receptions. Eight plus eight eight thousand eight thousand plus yards receiving yards and sixty five touchdowns in six seasons. That was that was his numbers in six seasons. So I, I don't know. I, I always found the area a bit. Um, but Calvin John, like you know, I, I like this class a lot. Like I said, I think this is one of the better classes that we have seen um, in recent memory. Calvin Johnson is no doubt a first battle Hall of Famer. Charles Woodson is no is a no doubt first battle Hall of Famer. Obviously, Peyton Manning, the sheriff, um, first ballot Hall of Famer. I, I, you know, so I have no problem with it. I just always have found the process of the Hall of Fame, and this can go for any league, the MLB, the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. I just have found it a bit eerie sometimes. That certain guys get in and certain guys don't and certain guys aren't first ballot Hall of Famers, but their resume and their talent clearly shows that they're first ballot Hall of Famers. It's just a slippery slope sometimes with the Hall of Fame. But nevertheless, it was a pretty good weekend. I enjoyed the, you know, the the some of the speeches that I've watched. So, yeah, um, we'll move on. I'm going to move on to Baker Mayfield. Move on to Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns. Okay, so let's segue into uh, Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns. We're about 15 minutes past, 15 minutes into the episode. So on, on the previous episode, right, I was talking about Josh Allen and him getting paid, and I talked about what it meant for the Bills and so forth. But I also talked about what it meant for the two other quarterbacks um, in Josh Allen's draft, which was number one overall pick, uh, Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson. I want to talk about Baker Mayfield a little bit more um, on uh, on this aspect because I talked about how Cleveland they're gonna have to 
very soon they're gonna have to make the decision on whether or not they want to pay Baker Mayfield. They want to pay Baker Mayfield, and I talked about how you know Baker. We we've gone over the tiers. Uh, I think I think he's been accurately placed um, as a tier three quarterback, and we talked about the surrounding factors around him in Cleveland um, that he benefits from. Right, so. I'm looking at it. The Browns, I think, are going to pay Baker Mayfield. It probably won't be before the end of the season. They probably wait until this season is finished. Let's see what he does again. Um, let's see if he can. Let's see. The Browns are probably trying to see if he can duplicate the same performance that he had last year or somewhat reminiscent of last year and so forth. But I think at some point Baker Mayfield will get paid. He will get a big time deal. He, he'll get a deal from the Browns. I think he will. And this is why. So I talked about how Baker, this offensive line that he has PFF rated it as the number one rushing O-line and the number one pass blocking O-line. So the, the the Cleveland Browns offensive line is great, needless to say. Uh, the weapons, the skill position players that he has, the weapons that he has on the outside, they're also phenomenal. And then Kevin Stefanski, I think bringing in, bringing in his zone running scheme has helped Baker, and Stefanski plays the Baker's strengths. So unless Baker just – shows some type of <clears throat> decline or regression from last year and it doesn't resemble last year and the Browns are kind of like underachieving with the like if that happens then okay but I don't think that's gonna happen I think it's more likely and you guys know I'm very critical of Baker but this is just a fact um it's more likely, and and when I think it's more likely, looking at his supporting cast, it's more likely that Baker will resemble a performance that he gave the Browns last year. I think he's going to duplicate that. I do. I think he's going to duplicate that. It's going to be like it's literally going to be very very difficult for him not to because you look at the weapons that he had. The weapons are it's a phenomenal supporting cast to have. A phenomenal supporting cast. But another reason why I think the Browns may be forced, like their hand may be forced, is they don't want to, as a franchise, the Browns, over the like what they did last year, um, all of the excitement building up into this year about this roster. You don't want to go back to the old Browns. You want to step into a new light. And like I said, I, I, do I think Baker in his elite quarter? Do I think he's an elite quarterback? No. Do I think he's Josh Allen good? No. Um, do I ever think he's going to ever be an elite quarterback? Uh, probably not. But the fact that the Browns have found some type of stability at that particular position, I think that may they, they I think they may value that um than the typical franchise that have found success 
um, whether that's winning more or or have found success as far as finding a quarterback under center. Because I think from the Browns perspective, you got to think, you know, couple like a lot of people, not a lot of people, but I think people will echo the sentiments that the Browns, you know, they got a Super Bowl quality roster. Now, whether or not they're going to get to the Super Bowl or win the Super Bowl, that remains to be seen. Um, but they have they have a legit roster. And they're trending in the right direction. Their hires, as far as you know, hiring the right coach, you know, signing and drafting the right personnel for the roster and so forth. And the fact that they have stability at the court. Get this, check this out. Baker Mayfield, first quarterback in the last 20 years for the Browns to start all 16 games over the past two seasons. Over the past two seasons, Baker Mayfield has started. All 16 games. That's the first time the Browns have seen that from a quarterback in 20-plus years. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. First time. The first time a quarterback has started 16 games. Baker's done it for two seasons. They haven't had that in 20-plus years. As in they, I mean the Browns. (laughs) They haven't had that. So I think it becomes a it becomes a a factor where they're paying for stability because Baker brings stability at the quarterback position, something that the Browns have lacked. It's almost like it's that dude, it's that guy who may not may not be the best to try and like and I'm talking about the Browns. The Browns are this are, are are that is the guy that has never been able to find an attractive girlfriend or keep a girlfriend or so forth, and they finally get a girlfriend. They're not the best looking. They may not make the mo- the most money, but the fact that they have been able to find a significant other. It's almost a stability factor where they're just happy just to have some stability at that particular position. And that's the Browns. The Browns are that they're that guy that not they haven't always they haven't always been the most attractive. They can't find they can't seem to find a girlfriend. And they're that guy that finally looks up. With a significant partner, with with a girlfriend, and you know the girl may not be the best looking, she may not make the most money, but it's stability, and it's something it, it's something that they haven't had, and it's something, and that's the Browns. The Browns have found a quarterback. It's not Baker's not like I said, Baker's not the most talented guy. I don't think he's elite. I'm not sure if he if he's ever going to be an elite quarterback. Maybe he can be one day. I don't know. I don't think so though. You know, Baker, he doesn't have the strongest arm. He's not the most athletic, you know, but he brings something that the Browns haven't had in a very, very long time. And that is stability and consistency at the quarterback position. Now, I can argue they I can argue and be critical of Baker Mayfield all day long, you know, whether or not he's a tier three quarterback. I think he is, but you know, some people may argue differently. 
you know, I can argue all day if Baker is a top 10 quarterback. I can argue all day if Baker is overrated or underrated. But what I can't argue and what I think the Browns are going to be, you know, forced into doing. And it may not be like the best financial decision, you know, depending on the money and how much they give them. It may not be the best financial decision, but the fact that they're actually getting stability at the quarterback position is something that the Browns have been struggling to look for longer than I've been living. (laughs) So the fact that they're able to get that from Baker, like I said, he's not the most elite guy. He's not the he's not the most talented guy. He's not the fastest guy. He doesn't have the strongest arm, but he brings stability. And it's just like that. Like I said, it's just like a guy who hasn't hasn't been able to find a girlfriend, finally lucks up and get a girlfriend, but they're not the most attractive. They're not they're not going to be on the cover of Vogue. You know, <laughs> um, they're, they're, you know, they're not they don't make the most money, obviously, but they he has stability at something that he's been lacking for a very long time. And that's the Browns. The Browns are literally that they have, they have finally found stability at the most important position. And that's, you know, they found stability at a very important position, which is the quarterback position. And I think based off of that Baker, I think he will be able to duplicate um, and have a similar season to what he had last year. Um, And I think with that, the Browns will have found some stability at the quarterback position. And then they'll be, they have to pay him. That's where Baker has the leverage. Baker has the leverage. That's the, that's, that's, that's where it is. Not so much forced, but Baker has the leverage. The ball is his, it's in his court. And that's where he has the leverage. And I think the Browns, they pay for it. They pay for stability because it's something that they have lacked for a very long time. So that's my thoughts. A lot of people have been asking me, do you think Baker's going to get paid? I do think. I, I, I do think he, ultimately he's going to get paid. Like I said, now, whether or not that's the best decision as far as is Baker going to lead you to a Super Bowl? I don't think so. I think he needs a strong supporting cast in order to do that, you know, and with you pay, and if the Browns decide to go that route and they pay him, you know, the the supporting cast won't be as strong. But the fact that he brings stability, I don't think that's I, that that I don't think you can argue that. That's a fact. Over the last two years, he's played all thirty-two games. He started all thirty-two games, and that is something that the Browns haven't been able to say over the last twenty years. I know it may sound crazy, but the Browns, if you if you don't re-sign him, you, the Browns are going to go back to being the old, lonely, stinky, horrible Browns that they are. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens and how this plays out. But that's my take on it. With um, It's, it's so funny how one guy's contract and with Josh Allen, how it can dictate other quarterbacks' contracts like Lamar. He's possibly, you know, who knows what happens. I don't know. I I haven't heard much else about Lamar Jackson and the Ravens contract talks. I think it's really interesting. I don't I don't I don't know. I haven't heard m- nothing much yet or anymore, I should say. But I think it's really funny and fascinating how one guy's contract can dictate 
the other two guys contract and what their future may look like with that team. I think it's very fascinating to see that and to see how it plays out um, with Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield. I think, I think ultimately Lamar eventually will get paid. I think it's just about how much, like, is he going to get 44? Is he going to get 40? Is he going to get 46? Who, Who knows? And with Baker, like I said, I think the Browns, they're trying to hold judgment. They want to see him do it another year, possibly. But like I said, I think he'd be able to have a similar performance uh, that he had last year. And they'd be, you know, I think Baker had a leverage where they have to pay him. So, yeah, that's that. <laughs> so, we, you know, I'm pretty sure we all know that one guy who uh, who can't keep a steady relationship or, you know, can't, you know, we, we all know that one guy who just can't get right, who can't seem to keep a relationship steady. Um, we all know that one guy. And speaking of trying to keep a relationship steady um, and trying to keep a relationship intact, let's shift gears to the Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson and Dwayne Brown. Um, <clears throat> as you guys all may already know, Dwayne Brown is he he's currently attending Seahawks practice uh practices I should say excuse me but uh he's not practicing he wants a he wants a new contract he wants to negotiate a new contract and rightfully so Dwayne Brown is one of the better left tackles that we have in football today and if you know anything about the Seahawks over the past couple years past few years I mean if you want to be quite honest since Russell Wilson has got there uh they haven't been they haven't been able to do a good job with protecting Russell Wilson over the last nine seasons. He's been the most sack quarterback in football, and it's so funny because I had some, I had a faithful Seahawks fan DM me, um, and he and you know he basically asked me like, hey, how do you how do you think the Seahawks season will play out, um, and Russell Wilson's future in Seattle and so forth, and as you guys may already know. If you're a regular listener to the pod, uh, after the football season concluded and Russell and Russell Wilson came out with his, uh, I should say, displeasantries uh, about the Seahawks and the personnel and the offensive line and so forth, um, you know, things got a little bit shaky. Things things got a little bit shaky, and <laughs> and um, you know, Russ. He, you know, he was really outspoken for like one of the first times in his career. He was really outspoken on the Seahawks. And I'm going to play this clip of Russell Wilson talking about Dwayne Brown um, and, you know, this new contract situation right here. Not having Dwayne Brown out there is, you know, pretty pretty significant deal uh, because I think he's one of the best left tackles in the game. You know, I just, there's no arguing. I think he's, uh, you know, as good as it gets. There's nobody more athletic, uh, more talented than he is. Um, you know, age is just a number, <laughs> you know. Uh, so uh, we definitely want to be able to get him back out there, you know, and, and uh, we got to figure that out because, uh, you know, he's he, we, we need Dwayne Brown. Yes. <laughs> yes, you do, Russell Wilson. You need Dwayne Brown. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Seahawks need Dwayne Brown, absolutely. And as I was saying, I have been critical uh, of the Seahawks and Pete Curl and the personnel moves that they have made, uh, that the you know I think that I found them over the last couple of years to be very top heavy. They're they're very the Seahawks have become very very top heavy. Um, they have been very reluctant, uh, or I should say, 
they have been really open to the idea of trading away their picks. And you know that's 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 just what the Seahawks have done over the last couple of years. They they they've either had not a lot of picks or no first rounders. You know the the picks they have been able to. And I'm not saying don't trade and try to you know. I'm not saying don't try to trade your picks. No, if you if there's a player out there that you want, yeah, I mean of course try to try to get them, but. The Seahawks just haven't done a good job with managing their picks and their roster. And I and I say all this to say Russell Wilson said it himself. Dwayne Brown, one of the best left tackles in football. Okay, sure, he's a bit older. You still gotta pay him though. If you're the Seahawks, you gotta pay him. And you look at the Seahawks season and how it transpired last year, they started off really hot. The offense was in Russell Wilson's hands, and um, it was let Russ cook. And the, and the Seahawks' offense was just – they were just flowing. It was one of the best offenses in the league to start off the season. The first six, seven weeks, it was one of the best offenses in the league. Russell Wilson got off to a great start. But then as the season wind down or as we got closer to the second half of the season, defense – you know, the better defenses – and the better defensive coordinators, they eventually caught on to all the tendencies and patterns um, of the Seahawks offensively, and then that's what made the Seahawks offense go back to its normal ways. Uh, Pete Curl started to get a bit more conservative, a lot more conservative, I should say, and then that's where the Seahawks we know we we knew how we know how the season finished. Um, they, they lost and once again, they lost in the wild card round of playoffs and, you know, they were, they were, they were one and done the postseason. So, you know, I, I think Dwayne Brown is absolutely vital, absolutely vital. The Seahawks, they play in the toughest, in my, in my opinion, I think they play in the best division in football. And you look at the teams that's in your division. You got a team like the San Francisco 49ers with a strong front four. You got a team like the L.A. Rams with Aaron Donald with a strong front four. You need to be able to protect your quarterback. You got to protect Russell Wilson. And that was – and, you know, that's what led to the onslaught that we saw and witnessed um, in the offseason. That's what led to all the drama. So first thing first. The Seahawks, they must take care of Dwayne Brown because that's that's how you assure that Russell Wilson is comfortable. Um, secondly, you know, they traded Jamal Adams for two first-round picks. And I think Jamal Adams is phenomenal. I think he is one of the best safeties in football. Um, not, not really a cover guy, but in the box, he's a really good boxer in the box. He is he is as ferocious as any safety in the league. But now you have to pay him and you gotta pay him, you gotta give him a large deal. And I'm not like I said, I'm not saying you can't trade away first round picks to acquire great players. I'm not saying that. But a first round and people may say, Oh, what's the value in a first round pick? Well, <clears throat> the value in a first round pick or picks in general if you're if if you're able to hit on these picks, the players that you get are virtually for free because they're they're on rookie deals. They're on rookie deals. 
So the players that if you can hit on the draft, the players that you get, they're virtually for free. And I'm not like I said, I'm not saying don't pay Jamal Adams. I'm not saying you shouldn't have made the trade for Jamal Adams. But just in totality, just in general, the Seahawks as a whole, they have whiffed on a lot of picks. So when they do have the draft picks, they're not hitting on a lot of their picks. They have whiffed on a lot of their picks. They have missed on a lot of their picks. And when they don't have and when they don't have the picks to fulfill other needs in their roster, they they overcompensate for other pieces and they're just not worth the money. And then that's where you get the bad contracts. So you know, I think the, the the Seahawks need to figure this out. Um, if they don't, if the Seahawks don't figure this out, uh, you know, if the Seahawks run into a situation where they're gonna they're gonna be really good, they're gonna be good enough where they make the playoffs. But if they don't, if they can't advance past the divisional round, um, they haven't passed, they haven't advanced past the divisional round since 2014. Um. And they haven't been back to the Super Bowl since 2014. So if they don't, if they can't somehow, some way, find a way to do that, then once again, February of 2022, we will still be having the same conversations that we were having in February of 2021 with Russell Wilson being displeased about how the roster is constructed. It's just going to be a cycle. It's just going to be a year-to-year cycle. As simple as that. I don't know how else to put it. I mean, Russ is telling you, hey, Dwayne Brown is really important, and he is. He he, he is. You need your left tackle. Um, so if Seattle, I, I hope some, you know, for Seattle's sake, for the Seahawks fans sake, I hope some, wow, somehow, you know, some, they find some way, somehow, some way they find a way, uh, to give Dwayne Brown what he needs, uh, and what he wants as far as a contract. But, you know, this is going to be ever, this is going to be a revolving door as in terms of Russell Wilson being displeased and distaste with how the roster is constructed. And a lot of it is self-inflicted wounds caused by the Seahawks. So we'll see what happens and transpires with the Seattle Seahawks. And, you know, to that person that DM me, that's my take on it. So there's going to be a lot to watch um, tonight. I mean, we got the Cowboys coming on. And by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm recording this on Tuesday, so... I'm referring to Tuesday. By the time you guys hear this, you know, this these things wouldn't have been happening. But uh, HBO, Hard Knocks with the Cowboys, they come on this tonight. Uh, we got Summer League between Jalen Green and Kay Cunningham. Summer League game between those two, the Pistons and the Rockets. That should be really interesting. That's going to get that's going to draw a lot of eyes. Um, we got, and then we got also a Netflix documentary coming out on, is it Ron Artest? I think it's, I think it's a documentary on Malice in the Palace. Um, so the dynamics surrounded around that. So that should be pretty interesting, pretty entertaining, um, an interesting night. A lot of stuff coming out, a lot of stuff to watch and so forth. 
but this is the last topic I want to uh, topic I want to uh, close out the episode with, and it's it's not gonna be too long. At least I don't want to be too long, right? Uh, and it's two. And I want to talk about two receivers, two receivers who are really good. Arguably, um, they're elite. They're elite receivers. So first, the Green Bay Packers and Devontae Adams. So Devontae Adams, time for a new contract. Devontae Adams, one he he you know he had a big time season last year. Uh, a lot of people refer to Devontae Adams as now the best receiver in football. You know that's kind of common belief. It, you know it's a bit. Some people might say Stephon Diggs. Some people might say you know Devontae Adams. Some people hell some some people might say uh, DeAndre Hopkins. So but Devontae Adams is elite, right? He wants to be paid like the he wants to be the highest paid receiver in football. Simple as that. The Packers, nah, they kind of think differently. And I don't find this coincidental that the Packers are thinking differently about this. Uh, I think right now, first, let's talk about the circumstances within the Green Bay Packers organization. There is a good chance that going into, not this season, but there's a good chance that Aaron Rodgers won't return as the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers after this season. It kind of feels like Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, or I should say Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, they seem more like uh, they're packaged together. You know, it's a two do they're, they're packaged together. They, they, you know, they're packaged together. And it seems like, I don't know. Why would I, – I just don't understand why the Packers and, – and I'm not – hey, I'm not saying Devontae Adams shouldn't get paid because I, I hate to do this because I don't like to play with people's money and people's pocket and pocket watch. But from the Packers' standpoint, Aaron Rodgers is most likely going to be gone next year. Would you keep Devontae Adams around? I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe you would to help Jordan Love – but would you be getting the same value out of that? Because I would, I would prob, I would guess his production would probably go down just based off the fact that he doesn't have Aaron Rodgers throwing him the football. So if you're the Packers, do you really want to sign that deal, or would you get more value if you were just to trade him? Would you get more value that way if you were just to trade him? instead of signing him to a long-term deal, knowing that Aaron Rodgers is not going to be there most likely next year. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. That's, I think it's very interesting, but I don't like, I, I think Devontae Adams should get his money and I ha I would have no problem with him being the highest paid receiver. I'm just talking about it from a green Bay Packers standpoint, the value, are you really getting the same value if you were to sign him to, this large deal that would make him the the the, the you know the the highest paid receiver in football. I, I just question the value that you would get out of that because the quarterback under center, we all know receivers play a dependent position, and a lot of the set a lot a lot of the receivers' success is dependent upon the quarterback that's under center. Um, and like I said, most likely Aaron Rodgers is going to be gone. So, not to say that Devontae Adams couldn't flourish under or 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 with Jordan Love but I don't know uh I would probably bet that his production would probably go down a little bit but 
even with the situation currently happening in New Orleans right now with Michael Thomas, where over the last year and a half, dating back to last year, the Michael Thomas, I haven't talked much about it, but the Michael Thomas and the Sean Payton and the New Orleans Saints dynamic and relationship has just been weird. And you would think with a guy like Michael Thomas and you look at the numbers that he's able that he's been able to produce over the years and they just paid him a long they just gave him a long-term deal, you would think the relationship would be a bit more smoother. But it's been a weird dynamic. Um, last year, Thomas had the ankle injury, um, so he missed some time. But last year, he got into a fight with a teammate. I think uh, one of the DBs, Garner Johnson. So he got into a fight. Sean Payton had to, he had to suspend him. So Michael Thomas really never got in the groove of things last year. Then in the offseason, excuse me, I'm sorry. In the offseason, Michael Thomas tells the Saints, hey, I'm going to get the surgery. I'm going to get the surgery done. And, uh, you know, it's in three months, right? In the three months, he's going to get the surgery done. Well, three months go by. He shows up to training camp in practice, and he's like, you know what? I didn't get the surgery. Now this is the time where I'm going to get the surgery. So I'm pretty sure the Saints are kind of thrown off about that as well. So the, that dynamic is really interesting. And now we're hearing, you know, the possibility of trade talks. The only thing with that. It's a caveat, and this is the caveat with Michael Thomas and him being traded possibly or the trade options or trying to explore different trade options. Even if the Saints were to trade him, the Saints still owe him $33 million due to the dead cap money. So the Saints are already in salary cap hell a bit. You know, they're already in salary cap hell a bit, but then if they were to trade Michael Thomas, Obviously, the team that's trading for him would take on the salary, but the Saints would still have to owe him. They would still have to pay him $33 million, and that goes against the dead cap money. That's all dead cap money that the Saints are paying for. So with these two particular situations, very like uh, they're they're different. You know, they're a bit different. Devontae Adams and Michael Thomas, they're a bit different. Devontae Adams wants a new deal. Michael Thomas and the Saints relationship is a bit kind of uh, shaky. I should also say the Saints try to communicate and call and talk to Michael Thomas, and Michael Thomas ghosts them for three months. That's all, that, that that's also big to remember too. So I say all of this, and I break down all of this to say I feel like the receiver position in football is – Kind of, not not quite, but kind of like a, a little bit moving into the direction of the running back position in football where we see teams now. So teams, teams can say teams now can say instead of paying a receiver a boatload of money and then they take up a, nearly a quarter of our salary cap. Why not just draft receivers in the first, second, third, fourth round where receivers come at a diamond dozen? And that's remember, you guys, you guys know this. Teams, franchises around the league are very reluctant to pay running backs. Because they're like, why would we pay a running back where we can draft a 
we can draft a running back in the second, third round, get him for cheaper. Why would we get and get him for a cheaper price? Why would we do that? And the receiver talent now, over the last couple years, it's no, it's no coincidence that it's it's not I it's not it's no no coincidence at all that the receiver talent that we have seen throughout the draft over the past couple years has been phenomenal. You find diamonds in the rough in the in the in the third, second, third, second, third round, fourth round. You can find diamond in the roughs, and these guys become star level receivers. So and and and, and it's the same argument with the quarterback position a little bit. Or I should say, the reason why we're seeing receivers becoming more advanced and we're seeing so many good receivers in in the draft on a yearly basis is because all all of those seven-on-sevens that these quarterbacks participate in, because these quarterbacks, they get endless reps. By By the time that these quarterbacks are 16, 17, 18 years old, they have had endless reps. And while the quarterback is getting those endless reps, who are they throwing the football to? They're throwing the football to other younger receivers who are also receiving those same reps. So we see quarterbacks getting younger and younger, playing younger and younger because they have been they they've basically they getting more throws than 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 a quarterback was like the quarterback position and I've talked about this a lot but the amount of reps that a guy like uh, that a guy like Trevor Lawrence has been getting over the last several years is totally different from the amount of reps that Tom Brady was getting there's so many camps there's so many 7 on 7 tournaments 7 on 7 activities for these younger quarterbacks and younger players in general to partake in. And with that, receivers are also, you can find a good receiver. You can find a, a several great good receivers throughout the draft, scattered throughout the draft. So I think that's where the receiver position is heading. Um, and it's really fascinating, but we got two, two, two situations with two of the league's best receivers uh, brewing right now. So keep your eye on that. But uh, I'm going to close it out right here. Uh, this has been a pretty good episode. Hope you guys have enjoyed. Yeah, um, I catch you guys on Saturday. Um, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Continue to share this podcast. Continue to stream this podcast. Um, yeah. And that'll wrap it up. Thank you for guys for tuning in. Always remember two choices, one decision. I am out. Peace, deuces. Catch you guys on Saturday.